A couple of weeks ago, I hosted an episode about how to make a living as an author. And when it comes to providing for your family with your writing, one technique stands above the rest. Writing fast. The faster you write, the more time you have for marketing, editing, and other activities that help pay the bills. Or, put another way, the more books you can publish and the more money you can make from those additional books. Because each book promotes your other books. Everyone starts out as a slow writer. I know this. I'm trying to teach small children about reading and writing, and they are very slow. No one starts out fast, but it is a skill that you can learn. And if you want to make it in this business, you need to learn how to boost your writing speed. And today, we're going to talk about how you can publish one million words per year. Does that sound impossible? It's not. The key is to write faster and to write smarter, which is what you're going to learn in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. And we have a very special guest today who's going to talk about how to write faster. He's published over 20 novels, and you're likely going to recognize him as either the 5,000 words per hour guy or the right to market guy. And he is now officially a friend of the show. And Chris Fox, welcome back to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Great to see you. I'm actually over 40 novels now. Oh, wow. Well, that's what happens when you write a million words a, a year, right? You just publish novel after novel. Yeah, it goes by pretty quick. <laughs> so back in 2018, we talked about writing 5,000 words an hour. How do you go from 5K an hour to 1 million a year? So it's important to understand that it doesn't scale. Well, lots of people were used to, okay, if I can write 5,000 words in one hour, then if I write for five hours, that's 25,000 words a day. So I could just scale infinitely and write a ton of books. Most of what is necessary for us to be able to write at speed is mastery of our writing craft and a lot of practice at getting down really good words quickly and understanding how to edit them. So there's this whole process that goes into the words. And in my case, I typically stop at exactly or very close to 5,000 words a day. I don't try and go beyond that because so much of my time is spent researching and editing and thinking about characters or perhaps world building. All of those are very important skills that go along with it. It's kind of treating your writing like an athlete or a musician. Right. An athlete will spend all week preparing for the one hour on the field right, or two hours on the field. And a musician will spend you know, weeks and months preparing for those performances. Right? Taylor Swift, maybe she only does 20 performances a year or 50 performances a year, but she spends all year preparing for those performances. And so to have that focused performance requires a lot of preparation, both in terms of planning and also in terms of just like emotionally psyching yourself up for it, I imagine. Definitely. There's a process to it. And the first time I heard about it, I hadn't done it myself yet. I, in 2010, I want to say, it could have been 2011, I met the editor of Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game. She was Robert Jordan's wife, Harriet. And she started telling me the process about how this book was written. And the book was actually written in two weeks. So Ender's Game, one of my favorite science fiction novels of all time, written in two weeks. But he spent 
I don't know, six, eight months meticulously plotting it out first and thinking about the characters and thinking about all the events. And so when he sat down to actually write the book, it was very much like watching an NBA game and seeing Michael Jordan perform at the peak of his ability. That's when all of the fundamentals that you've been practicing and the things you've been working on and all the work that's kind of led up to this that no one sees is tested. And that's where you're hitting the 5,000 words per hour. It's amazing how much easier cooking is when you have all of your ingredients already pre-measured in the little glass bowls, right? They, you watch a cooking show on TV and it goes so fast and it's so easy because they did the preparation ahead of time. Exactly. And, and that's the part you can't shortcut. That's right. So walk us through the process. How do we chop the garlic ahead of time so it's ready to just dump into the soup uh, when the time comes? So this is a process I call plot gardening. I have a book out that, that covers this. And in brief, what you're doing is trying to come up with an outline for a basic story. So you're thinking, okay, this is the end. This is my big confrontation between the good guy and the bad guy. Maybe they're saving the world from a nuclear bomb. Maybe it's a fantasy world and they're killing the big evil bad guy. Whatever story you're telling, you want a general idea of the plot. Once you have that plot, you don't let it be a straitjacket. You instead start using it kind of, I think of it like a planter box and you're dumping soil in there and you're putting more nutrients and you're pouring water in to help the seeds. And, and in terms of writing, that's the characters, that's the plot, that's the random idea you have in the grocery store line that you jot down. And over time, you kind of accrete all of these little bits that help you understand the world, the characters that are in it. You'll do a little bit of discovery writing where you'll have an idea and you'll, you'll write from your, your protagonist's perspective without really having outlined. And maybe in that discovery writing, it actually ends up being chapter 16 in the book you release, or maybe it doesn't get used at all, but it told you who that character was and informed you a little bit more about it. So that's the sort of things that you're doing as you're working on your outline. And I typically am doing this for, why don't we say four or five months before I write a book. So I'm working on book A and I'm plotting out book B and maybe C at the same time. And so I'm creating all this stuff for books two and three that won't get used for a while. So when I actually sit down to write it and I'm doing that 100,000 words in a month, it's really easy for me to do because I know all those characters and I know the plot and I kind of know where I'm trying to get to. It's interesting because Brandon Sanderson has a really similar method and he's somebody that he pretty much publishes a million words a year traditionally published. <laughs> I don't know if it, or he's close to it. Yeah, he's definitely the record holder in terms of trad pub, I think, in, in the fantasy sphere. And the material that he put out about it is, is wonderful and, and probably a better way of putting it than I did. He compares it chefs versus cooks. So if you want to be a really good writer, you want to be a chef, you need to understand how these ingredients work together, as opposed to just being a cook where you're just saying, okay, I saw it work in this story, so I'm going to write Harry Potter, but my character's name is Barry. And, and I think he did a really, really good job of laying that out. And he also has a really good uh, rhythm in terms of his daily discipline. So obviously kind of basic blocking and tackling is writing every day and setting his time aside. So obviously he does that. But the other thing that he does is that he'll do the first draft for one book and then he'll move on to doing like a second round revisions for a different book. And then he'll do like plotting maybe for a third book. And so he's always working on two or three books at the same time at different stages. So he's almost like a factory where he's resting the different machines so that when he goes back to a book, he's looking at it with a rested mind, but he's, but he's resting from the project by working on another project, which is why he has so many books come out. <laughs> now, the, the problem for me is I don't have the time 
to do it justice and, and set a book aside and really edit it in the way that it should be edited, I'm a pulp writer. And this is coined by Dean Wesley Smith. He calls it pulp speed, the million words a year. We have to put out books fast because we have rent to pay. And so typically what I'll do is I'll get a book 85% of the way there where it could benefit from another editing pass or two. And this, I think, is what Sanderson has gotten a chance to do, where you take this book, you polish it up as good as you can, you set it aside, when it's just like a, a katana where you're working with a Japanese sword and you're folding it over and over and over, he gets a chance to see that book again and make more improvements. And I just had a chance to do that for the first time in my career, where Shattered Gods, my um, epic fantasy, I, I put in that extra time and I gave it four or five more passes than I normally would. And I feel like it really benefited from that. Yeah. And if you have enough books in process, it doesn't slow you down that much to do those extra editing passes because it's using in some ways a different part of your mind. And so you put in your writing, your 5,000 words for the day. If you do that in the morning, you potentially could still be editing that afternoon if it's a different project. That's, that may be, may be the best takeaway from writing fast. If you crank out words fast and you are writing good, so you're in flow state, you're, you're producing quality content, you're not just writing garbage to have words down. If you do that very quickly and it's done early in your day, the rest of your day you can spend plotting and thinking and deciding what the next chapter is going to be. And learning that skill was a huge turning point in my speed as an author. Yeah, so let's dig into that a little bit because you used a, a term, flow state, and there are people who know what that is and people who don't know what that is. And I feel like that's really key to writing both fast and good. So what is flow state? So flow state, also known as theta state, is a state of the brain where the world fades away, the mechanics fade away. You're not thinking about what it is you're doing in terms of typing. So you, there's no fingers, there's no keyboard, there's no I'm hitting the letter A. You're not thinking about the words you're using. You are in the story, in the moment, in your character's head. You have kind of unified with the story. And flow state is where we are at peak performance and something that we're good at um, doing it in this way. And it's the goal, I think, of every athlete. It's the goal of every creative. It's the goal of every professional. Almost everything that you enjoy in your modern life today, from an athletic performance to a piece of art or a novel, was created by someone in flow state, utilizing this neurological brain state to create amazing content. Yeah, athletes call it in the zone and where it's that state of, of perfect focus. And I think everyone has experienced it if they drive a car. And so when you first learn how to drive a car, you are thinking about everything. You think about the blinkers, you think about the road, you think about the other cars. And with enough practice, you get to the point where you become one with your car. And you're like, no, I don't. I'm like, well, if you get into an accident, do you say somebody cut my car off or somebody crashed into my car? No, you say somebody crashed into me. You extend your sense of self across the entire car where you, the car person, are driving down the road and you see the car as an extension of yourself. And you can do the same with your writing, where your writing becomes kind of that extension of yourself and you get into flow. So hopefully people have tasted it and now they're like, okay. How do I get into flow more consistently? What's the secret? If they want to know how, I have two books on the subject, 5,000 Words Per Hour and Lifelong Writing Habits. I've got a course on the way, which you and I have talked about. This is the holy grail for me. Flow state is all of my material kind of focuses around it, because if you can harness flow state, that's how you write really good novels quickly. So 5,000 Words an Hour, is it still available for free on your website? 
It is. The book is available for free on my website. It always will be. You don't have to pay a dime for this. Lifeline Writing Habit. If you email me at chris at chrisfoxwrites.com and say, hey, Chris, I can't afford a copy or I don't want to take a chance on it, I'll send you a free copy. I'm happy to give that out to you. The goal of writing these books was to help authors and to get more people telling good stories. Okay. So give us, uh, give us a taste. Give us a couple of quick tips on getting into flow state. Sure. So the number one thing you're going to need is a tortoise enclosure. Um, a tortoise enclosure was coined by John Cleese. I love that man. And what he said is when he was trying to be creative, he needed to erect boundaries of space and boundaries of time. So in a practical way, what you're saying is, okay, for the next half hour, I'm turning off the internet. I'm in my office with the door closed. My cell phone is turned off. All distractions have been removed. And so there's nothing that's going to interrupt me. And for the next 30 minutes, I can just play. I can write whenever I want. I can think. I can experiment. You give your brain permission to, to get into that that place of creation where no one is judging you and you're just able to do your thing without worrying about what people will think about what you're doing. And then you create this great material. That tortoise enclosure, or you can call it a writing sanctuary, is a cornerstone, I think, for most people's career. If you can take some time to erect your tortoise enclosure, to clear your decks so that you don't have interruptions, to make sure that you get, let's say, a glass of water before you sit down to write, to go ahead and use the restroom, you're going to be much more productive. And the vehicle I use when I sit down at my desk, how I actually write, is called a writing sprint. So I set a timer, and when the timer goes off, I begin writing. I just keep writing until it goes off at the end. So I'll set it for 20 minutes, and for 20 minutes, I'll write without stopping. I won't go back and edit. And at the end of it, I will have usually a complete chapter. And that's how you start writing faster. The writing sprint gets you into flow state. It's a mechanism to train your brain to get into flow state. And if you do that long enough, let's say for six months, a year, two years for some people, you get to the point where most people stop using the timer entirely because they can just get into flow state on command. Yeah, athletes have their own version of that tortoise enclosure in its headphones. Like if you watch Michael Phelps, greatest Olympian of all time, what was he doing right before he took off to swim? He's listening to headphones, right? He's tuning out the crowd and the drama of the Olympics and what everybody is saying. He's just focused. And he would have that like intense focus look on his face of like he's going to either kill you or beat you in a race and you hope it's not kill you. <laughs> and so I know for me often music plays a role, but I find that personally I can't when I'm writing listen to music with words in it. And so I have a, a whole playlist in my music uh, app on my computer just called wordless working and it's all of these songs without words instrumental music that i'll play when i'm really wanting uh, to focus and get into that flow state i have um playlists for nostalgia childhood nostalgia teenagers nostalgia 20s happy angry they're all instrumental so it's it's no vocals same i have the same problem that you do where i can't focus but music is such an amazing tool and if you need to write a very tense scene having tense music is amazing so some of the prep work that i do is just making sure my music is picked ahead of time i know what i'm going to listen to for a soundtrack so if i'm going to be writing for an hour i have an hour's worth of music picked out it's fun picking it out and that's something i can do at the end of a day like i've done my words and i'm going to relax before i go to bed let's pick out the music i'm going to set to these scenes the next day now, I know a lot of people try this and they go for five minutes and then they get distracted and they're off on Facebook. The great killer of many books. Right? We, it's like we of old, we sacrificed our children to the false gods. Now we sacrifice our book babies to the gods of Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> they take all of our time. So how do you fight against distractions? There is a module specifically about that in the course. What you are attempting to do is ascertain where you get your dopamine. 
So all humans, the way our brain works is we are wired to seek dopamine. And, and that means that you're looking for positive experiences. So maybe your routine to get dopamine is in the morning, you go by Starbucks, you get yourself this nice sugary coffee and a pastry, and that's your big reward. So dopamine is something everybody is seeking all of the time. And when you see a little red badge in Facebook, you get a rush of dopamine. What you do is you delete Facebook off of your phone. You delete Instagram off of your phone and you tell yourself, I only get to check social media this evening after my work is done. Your work, getting the words checked off, then becomes the dopamine. Remember, we always need dopamine. We, if we go too long, we'll get dissatisfied if we're not getting this dopamine. We'll feel like losers. We'll feel upset with ourselves. We'll get very frustrated and dissatisfied. That's a good thing. You want to feel that way until you start achieving what you want to achieve. So if you remove the low-hanging fruit, the easy dopamine that comes from social media, and force yourself to do the work to get the dopamine, then all of a sudden you're getting your words done. And the way that I do this is the words are the first thing I'm going to accomplish when I wake up. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to get out to my desk as soon as I can. You know, I might work out first, but after that, I'm sitting down to crank out my words. So by the time I head in the house to watch Kaylin at 1030, I have 5,000 words written. It's already done, and I'm not turning to social media to kind of get that fixed and make me feel better about myself. I love that because if you're doing 5,000 words a day, you only need to write 200 days a year to hit a million words, and that gives you 100 days off, <laughs> 150 days off to rest and to have weekends and, and to have a life. And so I know some of you are like, oh, a million's not really possible. It's like, no, if you can do 5,000 words a day and you can do that on weekdays, you can actually do more than a million words a year. But you mentioned Caitlin, you're a dad now. I'm a dad now. Back in uh, 2018, when we did our first interview, neither of us were dads. <laughs> life was easy. <laughs> like, all we had to do was talk to our wives and say, hey, keep the distractions away. And she wouldn't burst into tears and create child problems. But now there's this force of chaos, right? Adorable chaos of this <laughs> little child. Uh, so how has having a child affected your approach and your output as a writer? It kicked the legs out from under my career, if I'm being honest, when it happened. Some people get lucky, some people don't when you have your first baby. My baby slept like two hours a night. I mean, we weren't getting any sleep at all. So my wife and I, for the first year, averaged three and a half to four hours sleep a night. And that makes it really hard to write 12 books in a year. So what I had to do is fall back to fundamentals. I had to spend more time plotting my stories. I had to really lean into my habits. I had to make sure that I knew why I was doing this and that I'm trying to, to do these novels and to have this career for Kaylin, for my son. I really went back to the fundamentals and there was only me and the words. So in the morning when I woke up, even though I was exhausted, I only had a few hours of sleep, I'd go out to my computer, I'd sit down and I'd write what words I could. And if I couldn't manage a 20-minute sprint because I, I was just garbage that day, uh, I might do a five-minute sprint and, and dial back my goals. Sometimes you can't hit the goals you want to hit and you have to just admit right now I have to dial it back and do an easier activity or maybe do less of it because that's where I'm at. So understanding the truth of where you're at right now is important when you have a life change like a, a child. I really like that, adjusting your goals accordingly and ultimately realize this child is way more important. Your human baby is much more important than your book baby. <laughs> and your human baby won't always be a human baby. It'll be soon. It'll be a human little girl and then a human adult. And you can still work on your books. And I know exactly how you feel. My daughter is going through a growth spurt right now. She woke up five times last night. <laughs> we don't even have our <laughs> newborn yet. And my wife and I are like, how are we going to handle the newborn? <laughs> our toddlers are waking up five times. How are we going uh, to function? And so just adjusting your goals. But I, but I also do think that you know a lot of authors still are writing with kids in the house and with distractions. And 
It really is a matter of discipline. I'm, it is going to sound terrible, but it's it's not that hard. What you need to do is understand how a habit works. A habit has three parts. And I'm not going to belabor a habit here. I'll just become a habit podcast. But you can understand how to instill a writing habit. And if that writing habit is you only write 10 minutes a day and you get 500 words down and that's it, 500 words every single day, 365 days a year is going to get you, what is that, 150,000 words in a year? I mean, you're going to write two, three books just that way. And that's on one 10-minute break a day. Like, I, I, if you can find more time, if you can find a second 10-minute break, you can get even more done. So what I see these people doing, almost always romance authors, many of whom have, are you ready for this, six kids they take care of, is they look for those little windows. They get up earlier than everybody else does so that, you know, at 4 in the morning or 3.30 in the morning before any of the kids have woken up, they can write for a half hour and get some words down. And they're going to find any little five-minute sanctuary in their day or in their lives where they can get those words down. So flexibility matters. I mean, how bad do you want this? I have a calculator here. It's 182,000 words a year if you do just 500 words a day. And that is two or three, maybe four books, depending on what length of book you write. So uh, 500 is not a lot. <laughs> Most people can find time to write uh, 500 words a day. And for those of you that don't work in words, that's two pages, two pages of work. <laughs> yeah, if you think in terms of pages. Now, what advice do you have for slow typists? Right? Some people are listening to this and like, I physically could not type 5,000 words an hour, even if someone were just dictating it to me. What advice do you have for them? Well, I, I love talking to these people. Well, first, I tell them the truth, which is that when I'm typing, I only do about 3,500 words per hour. That's my typing speed. And then I tell them about dictation, which da -da 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 -da. I put on a headset. And now all of a sudden, I'm at 5,500 words per hour, and I can do it as I'm holding a child. So you put your TV as your screen. And you can see these gigantic words with this gigantic font. So you can sort of see it appear on your screen and you just talk and you have to speak your punctuation. So you'll say, Thomas invited me on the show, period. And then we talked, period. But if you do that, then you can get words down very, very quickly. So if you were a slow typist, try dictation. If you don't like it, there are a number of typing programs that'll help you get faster. And it's worth the investment, even though it's, it's very daunting for a lot of people. Getting up to being able to type like 40, 50 words a minute will transform your career. And if you're willing to pay a little bit of extra for your dictation software, you don't even have to type your dictation. So this interview, when we're done, Chris, we're going to run it through Sonics, either Sonics or Happy Scribe. Those are the two uh, tools that I use. But most likely it's going to be Sonics because it will dictate your language and it'll do it mine and keep it separate. So it makes sure the right words go with the right person. And it crunches, 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 and it puts in the punctuation pretty good. And it's also pretty accurate, but we do have to pay by the hour for the transcription. And it's, I don't know, 50 cents an hour, 10 cents an hour. It, it's something. It's not like paying for Dragon or using the built-in tool on your Mac. But it does do the punctuation. Because I know for some people, they're like, I can't speak my punctuation. I can't think that way. Once I get into the zone of the story, I want to just be able to talk. Well, there is new AI now. Voice to text has gotten really good. If you're willing to pay for it, you don't have to speak dictation anymore. That's good to know. I didn't realize that. How do they handle um, carriage returns? They listen for pauses. And they, oh, okay. They, yeah, so I'm not exactly sure how it does it, but they do put in the paragraph breaks. And they're not they're not perfect, and the transcription's not perfect either. But it's easy to go in and, and fix it. If they're 85% of the way, that's amazing. And you can train them, yeah, with a custom vocabulary. So you keep changing the same word over and over again. You can start to build a custom vocabulary, which is uh, 
really helpful if you write epic fantasy and you have a lot of strange words <laughs> that <laughs> the uh, dictation struggles with. And I actually have an affiliate, I think for Sonics, maybe for Happy Scribe as well. Um, there's a whole bunch of these, and AppSumo has deals on transcription tools all the time. Really, there's just two or three real companies that do it. Google has a voice-to-text library, as does Amazon, and these other companies just uh, license their API. I realize it's technical, but what it means is they're all basically the same. If you're paying by the hour, it's because they are paying Google to transcribe your text for you, and Google's really, really good at it because people have been talking to their Google devices uh, for a long time. All right, so let's talk about scheduling and edits. When do you, so you're writing 5,000 words an hour. Do you always edit in the afternoon or do you like schedule editing windows where you spend a whole week doing nothing but editing? What is the, what is the 5,000 words an hour protocol for editing? Both. So what I do is I write the 5,000 words that day. And then at the end of the day, I just read what I wrote. I go through, I correct any obvious typos. I add a little bit more description or I tweak dialogue a little bit. It's kind of relaxing at the end of my day. You know, think about how long it would take you to read four or five chapters. That's about how long it takes me to do. It might add an hour to my day. Once I have finished the book, I have an edited manuscript. So I've seen this book a couple of times. All the typos are basically fixed. It's in pretty good shape. Then I will go through and I'll give it a real content edit. I'll add new chapters if I have to, which is rare. I'll cut chapters, which is rare. And then I'll modify and I'll add more description. So it'll get two full edits from me before I send it off to my editor. And then that's my wife. Lisa will edit the book on the side at the same time that beta readers are reading it. And so they'll send me a bunch of emails with some feedback, which usually takes them a couple of weeks to digest whatever book I've sent them. Lisa will be doing primary edits during that time. And then the last phase for me is I'll take any of the suggestions that beta readers gave me. I'll make those tweaks. And then Lisa will come behind me and make sure I didn't introduce any new typos. And then it's off to the store. Wow. So that's a really compressed editing phase. I come from the trad pub world where there's three different people who do different kinds of edits in addition to the beta readers. And so that's really compressed. Okay, are you ready for this? My last book, Shattered Gods, has a 4.8 out of 5-star average. I have no 1-stars and no 2-stars, and we wrote this at light speed. <laughs> now, I believe it, because that's that's how flow state works. It's not just about swimming, um, being more focused. It's also about swimming better and, and faster. When you get out of your own way, your performance tends to be better, right? This is why athletes crave it, is because they play better in flow state or in, in the zone than they do when they're not in the zone. Which is also why like the most frustrating thing for authors is getting interrupted. They finally get into the zone and then they get interrupted. Do you have any tricks for getting back in the zone if, if, when you know the inevitable happens? I do. I try to have a process. So like when I sit down at my desk, I go through the same series of steps exactly the same way every time. If I get interrupted, I try to go back to that routine and just restart it like I'm sitting down at my desk for the first time. And oftentimes that'll fix it because my brain has been through so many writing sprints and so many instances of sitting down and being in this habit that I can sort of shake it off a little easier. It doesn't always work. It depends on what interrupted you. If it's something that is emotionally disturbing, then it's hard to shake it off. If it's just a random interruption where a, a child knocked at the door, it's not so bad. So I just try to limit interruptions as much as possible. I don't, I don't think there is a, a good way to to quickly get back into flow state no matter what the interruption is always rough for me i hate them it's fascinating how similar this approach is to being a pro athlete because that's exactly what athletes do so when a batter walks up to the plate they every one of them pretty much has a ritual that they do and it's the ritual itself is unique right maybe they do the sign of the cross over their chest or they tap one side of the uh, 
plate and then the other side and then they do a, a certain number of practice swings and it's always the exact same ritual and uh, you see the same thing in basketball before a free throw if, if they uh, watch next time you're watching basketball somebody does a free throw if they bounce it three times they're going to always bounce it three times because the bouncing it three times is that ritual to try to get them back in the zone and because one difference writers complain oh my kid knocked at the door and took me out of the zone in sports there's a whole other team whose whole goal is to take you out of the zone <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, you're a quarterback you get sacked you got to get back up and go right back into it so it takes a level of mental toughness but ultimately it's trying to achieve that same goal just in a physical world rather than in a story world and i found that everybody gets better at it over time like if you write more and you're trying to get into flow state it may feel a little daunting at first. You will find flow state eventually if you keep after it and keep sprinting. I have worked with probably, I don't know, 100,000 authors have purchased the book at this point. And of them, I would say sub 1% have had a problem with writing sprints working for them. Now, it's really interesting. We've been talking now for quite a few minutes, and there is a word you have not yet used that is perhaps the key tool that most people use to try to work faster. And that is the word deadlines. So you've been talking about rhythm. You've been talking about flow state. You've been talking about habits. We haven't talked about deadlines. Is deadlines a part of this process? Like how do deadlines work inside of this million words a year model? Sure. So um, what we're talking about is Parkinson's law. And the idea behind Parkinson's law is that a task will expand to fit the time that is allotted to it. So if you give yourself a year to write a book and you expect, okay, at the end of this year, I'm going to have one book and that's the proper amount of time, then at the end of the year, you're going to have one book. If you believe I have to have 12 books out this year and I actually have pre-orders that are already set up on Amazon, so I haven't even sat down to plot this book yet, and I have a pre-order up on Amazon that says it has to be published on November 15th, that's going to get me to write that book in time because if I don't, there are consequences. I will be banned from the Amazon pre-order program for one year if I fail to deliver on that date. So what you do is you set yourself a deadline with consequences and you are much more motivated to hit that deadline. That's harder to do if you're an amateur writer, but you can still do it. Put you know notes on your calendar that are going to pop up every Friday and say, hey, have you written X number of words yet? Making yourself accountable through deadlines is very useful. One easy way to do this if you're just getting started is um, promise your critique group that you'll give them all Amazon gift cards of some amount if you don't hit your deadline. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of authors do this, and it, it's really interesting because your critique group, irrationally, they'd be cheering for you to fail, but in reality, they're cheering for you to succeed, even though they get compensated <laughs> if you don't. And <laughs> it puts some stakes on it, but it's but it's a friendly stake, right? You're like, oh, okay, here's a $20 gift card. I don't think he'll mind me saying this. James L. Rubart used this method. He had some books that he had to get out, and he was really under deadline. So he um, promised his mastermind group, and I'm in it, that he would give us all Amazon gift cards if he didn't hit one of his deadlines. And he's hitting his deadlines, and then he missed one. And I I got me 20 bucks. It was great. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So how many hours do you recommend somebody set aside if their goal is that 5,000 words a day? Because obviously the one hour of performance, there's a certain number of hours of preparation that need to make that happen. How many hours should somebody budget if their goal is the million a year? Obviously, you can do less and write less, but what what would you say is a good time budget on a daily basis? It's going to be different for everybody. What I find a lot of people do is they look for different nooks and crannies in their day that are not being used. So you may find that you have six 10-minute sessions that are now sprinkled throughout your day. So after lunch, when you sit down at your desk, 
you do a quick 10 minute writing sprint, get what words you can done, and then you jump into whatever else you would normally be working on. If you sprinkle those throughout your day, you may find that that works really well. In general, two hours is about the amount of time that most people seem to spend writing 5,000 words. Once they get to a point where they feel competent at getting the words down. It can be a lot longer than that, and it shouldn't feel like that's a bad thing. It gets shorter the longer that you do it. But I, I would budget a minimum of two hours to get it done. So an hour of prep and then an hour of performance. That's that's actually not a bad... I was going to guess it's more of an investment than that. That's two Netflix shows a night. <laughs> and if you're writing historical fiction, maybe it's three, but... <laughs> now, uh, you do your writing in the morning, I assume... First thing. I do. Is that so, right? Uh, 4.30 or 5 a.m., yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the things I've noticed with high-performance authors, high-productivity authors, almost without exception, they use their sharper mind, their rested mind, to do the writing. So if, you're cut, if your total time in the day is coming from cutting back on Netflix, right, maybe you cancel Netflix and your reward for hitting your deadline is you sign up for Netflix again. You don't do the writing at the end of the day with your tired mind during your Netflix time. You go to bed earlier, you get a rested mind, and then write with the sharp axe. You're going to cut more trees with a sharp axe. And the day, at least for most people, I feel like dulls that axe where your mind gets duller and duller till by the end of the day, you're not making good decisions. You're not eating as healthy, right? You tend to eat healthier in the morning. We're just better versions of ourselves in the morning. And so use that better version of yourself to write. I'm I'm actually uniquely positioned to contrast them in a in a real way, like with data science. I wrote in the morning and I wrote in the afternoon. And and for those that don't know, when I first started this, my whole goal was I worked at a startup job 12 hours a day. I drove down to San Francisco on a bus and then I drove home. And so I was the only software engineer at this company. I had an extremely difficult job and I needed to find out how can I write 5,000 words in a day when I still have this full-time job. So I would actually write on the bus in the mornings on my way into the office. And it was all about maximizing that little time window and trying to get down as many words as I possibly could and just constant optimization, constantly trying to find things that worked better for me uh, because that fit my life. And I feel like everyone has their different life circumstances, but all of us are fighting for every minute. And the sooner in the day you can get this done, the better. And like I said, I have the data. So in the mornings, I would get like, let's say 3,500 words an hour written if I was typing. And in the evenings, it would be like 2,200 words an hour. Like it'd be a sharp reduction in productivity if I tried it later in the day because I was tired. And I'm guessing it's not just fewer words, but probably worse words too. You probably were giving your future self a bigger editing job to get those words into shape. Absolutely. And I ran into a lot more instances where I just didn't know where to write and I would just have to stop. So usually I would flip over into plotting at that point and try and plot out the next day's words and just accept that I had missed my goal that day. Yeah, this is, for my personal productivity, the thing I most need to do. And the thing I find the most challenging, especially when the kids are up all night, the last thing I want to do is wake up early and get to work right away. But I definitely find that I'm sharper early in the day before the drama of the day grinds grinds at that edge of, of the axe. Mark Twain said um, he had the eat that frog analogy where he said, if the toughest thing you had to do every day is eat a frog, you should do that first. <laughs> uh, and Brian Tracy wrote a book about it. And I love that book. And the message is very simple. If you have to write and that's the most important thing you're going to do that day and that's done by 7.30 a.m., then for the rest of the day, you know that the most important thing you needed to do for your career is done. And that's the other reason that I think that mornings are so important. And a lot of people are diabolically opposed to like, there's no way I'm going to wake up early. And this was me for a lot of, of years, but try it. 
Try waking up a half hour earlier and see if you can add more to your day. And, and I think that a lot of us find, even though we hate getting up early, what it gives to our life makes it worth it. I love that. We're almost out of time. But before we go, I want to talk about burnout and picking a pace that's sustainable over time. Because I think one risk, or or maybe it's a fear, because I feel like when you're really in flow, it's almost restful. But how does somebody avoid burnout as they increase the pace of their writing? Listen to your body. I see lots and lots of authors come in. And so you'll put out a book and maybe it blows the, the charts away and you make $20,000 your first month. What is your immediate response? I'm going to write another book and another book and another book and another book. And then like seven or eight books into this series, they're just exhausted and breaking down. Take care of yourself. Don't push yourself too hard. Make sure you're hitting your daily goals. But if you're starting to feel exhausted and burnt out, take a break. Take a, a longer break between books. Spend some time watching your favorite shows. Read your favorite books. Refill the creative well, and, and you'll thank yourself later. It's really incredible how similar this is to advice for professional athletes, because that's exactly what professional athletes do, too. Like They practice really hard, but they also rest really hard, because you can overwork a muscle, right? Like your body needs time to rebuild itself and regenerate. It's called overtraining. Yeah. And you can overtrain and you can overwrite. And and what I want you to hear and what Chris is talking about, this isn't forcing yourself to write like past your level of endurance where you're like borrowing into your life core energy uh, to write. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about building up the stamina, getting into a state of flow so that you have a pace of writing that you can sustain for the long run that generates really high quality books really quickly. And with that said, we should probably talk about the webinar that we're going to do. So Chris and I are going to host a webinar on uh, this topic, and we're going to talk specifically about his course, which I'll have a link to his course, How to Write a Million Words an Hour, or sorry, a Million Words a Year in the show notes. But we're also going to have a, a webinar. We're going to go into this more. We're going to answer your questions. Uh, the cost of the webinar is totally free, and you can find a link to it in the show notes for this episode at authormedia.com forward slash 301 for episode 301. And the webinar is October 21st, 2021 at 4 p.m. Central Time. And yes, we will have a link to the replay for those of you listening in the far future. We hope the robots have not come for you. <laughs> You're still listening <laughs> to this show in the future. Chris, do you have any final thoughts or advice? But keep writing, everybody. I can't wait to read what you're working on. Our sponsor today is the five-year plan to become a best-selling author. This is the course that I put together with James L. Rubart to help you step-by-step -step to build your writing career. It starts off focusing on craft so that you can write the kind of book that is easy to sell and that readers want to read. And then later on in the course, you start building a platform, launching books, and ultimately becoming a best-selling author. This is an incredibly popular course, and it's really helpful to help you keep from wasting time doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, or even the right thing at the wrong time. Uh, and if you're a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, you can save 50% off the price of the course. Speaking of patrons, I would like to thank our new September patrons. Everyone here became a new patron in the month of September. Jill Tethro, Patricia Hartman, Avita O'Malley, Doug Soquist, Brian Crothers, Michelle Marie Wiseman, Steve Dickinson, C.K. Shamira, and Mackenzie Lane. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I could not do this without you, and I really appreciate your support. 
And as a patron, you each get access to the patrons-only episode each month, uh, which is going to be coming out here in the next week or so. And a quick personal update. My daughter, Mercy, who's just about to turn three, was helping my wife put her laundry away. And she said, I have so many clothes. Mercy giggled. Now, she actually said Mercy giggled at the end of her statement. And my wife said, did you just say Mercy giggled? And she's like, yeah. So this is when you know you're reading too many books to your own children is when they start narrating their own lives. So maybe she's going to grow up to become an author. Who knows? You've been listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. and Chris Fox on the Novel Marketing Podcast. This is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstead. The blog post is by Shauna Lettler. And I am Thomas Umstead Jr., your host. To find the blog version of this episode, visit authormedia.com forward slash 301. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.